These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Hi everyone, and thank you so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskit. October is the time, folks, to be testing for a pest that is causing more than a billion dollars in damage to soybeans. We'll share more on that, plus review the latest happenings when it comes to the grain markets on Market Journal. We'll get into both of those stories coming up here in a moment. But first, as some hit the home stretch for harvest, let's check in on progress being made out in southwest Nebraska. Tyler Hughes is joining us over the phone now. Tyler, tell me a little bit about the farming operation. I understand you're also serving on the Nebraska Dry Pea and Lentil Commission. We farm in southwest Nebraska, uh, only about six miles away from the Nebraska-Colorado border in Chase and Perkins counties. Um, mostly dry land, a um, little bit of irrigation, uh, but yeah, do a little bit with those yellow peas you mentioned and just coming off our winter wheat seeding. Take us through a year in review when it comes to the crops you guys are growing, Tyler. We do quite a bit of the crops on our dry land acres. We'll do wheat, corn, proso millet, and yellow peas um, all in a rotation, in a fixed rotation. This spring, it was very dry um, to start out with. Uh, we had a lot of snow over the winter, um, but we were looking at a dry forecast. We weren't sure how many acres to put in. Um, and then once we hit uh, May timeframe, we got a whole bunch of rain, which is kind of the opposite from what the rest of the Corn Belt. They ended up being very dry, but I think we had 12 inches of rain within the month of May, uh, which is you know probably two-thirds of what our annual precip usually is. So all of a sudden, we got our soil profile filled up, um, and things, things were looking good as long as you could get all the crops planted. And then it, it was complete polar opposite kind of the rest of the year. The rain shut off, you know, maybe an inch and a half or two at most over the rest of the growing season. So we used up those soil reserves and everything had kind of uh, been surviving on, on vapors uh, here up to the harvest time. All right, well, how's harvest going for you, Tyler? And what else is gonna be keeping you busy before we get into winter? Uh, hoping to finish up corn harvest here maybe by Halloween. Then after that, hopefully we've got a few more nice days. We can get some good fall tillage done, maybe get out, get some soil sampling done, and get us set up good uh, for going into the winter and prepped at a good point, getting ready for 2024. Looking ahead in 2024 is going to be here before we know it. Thanks for the time today, Tyler. We appreciate that. On the topic of looking ahead to next year, now is the time to be testing for a very damaging pest that could be now found in nearly 60 counties in the state. Let's learn about testing for soybean cyst nematode with UNL's Dylan Manjul. 
Do you have unexplained yield loss in your soybean fields? Might be soybean cyst nematodes. We're going to be talking about that with Dylan Manjol from Nebraska Extension. And Dylan, why is now in October the best time to be testing? This is the best time of year because we got crops coming out of the field. Um, growers might have a little bit more time on their hand, but the real big reason is this is the time of year when they're at their peak level in the soil. So all summer long, those populations have been increasing. They go through a generation every 28 days. And after three or four of those, you've got really high levels of that, especially in those soybean fields that just came out of production. We're in two thirds, soybean cyst nematode is in two thirds of the state of Nebraska yep. counties now, as you look at the map, who should be testing? Yeah, it's in two thirds and those two thirds are the soybean producing areas. So it's pretty much in, in all those soybean producing counties, but it's not in every field. So knowing if it's in your field or knowing which of your fields it's in could help you plan uh, to keep it just in those fields and not spread it to new ones. So really, anyone who's farming soybeans should, should know their SCN status because it's, it's, it can still yield without any above ground symptoms in many cases. So we don't really know if it's there without testing. Well, let's talk about sending samples and it's free because of the Nebraska Soybean Board. Yes, the Nebraska Soybean Board has funded a program, free soybean cyst nematode testing for any Nebraska grower. All you've got to do is put soil in a bag and send it into the UNL Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic. And if you need bags, we'll even send those out to growers as well, uh, just to make that as easy as possible. I'll hold the bags. I want to see uh, you take a sample. Yeah. Show us the right way to do this. So the, it's, it's pretty simple. The nematodes are going to stay in that top six, six inches of the soil. So they're not going to drop down like other nematodes in corn might do. Um, and we're in a cornfield. And just note that you can test out of cycle if you're in your corn rotation but levels might be a little bit lower, but it will tell you if it's still there. So all you've got to do is get that top six inches of soil. We can take a core with a simple soil probe like this. We can see that, put it in a bucket. And what I recommend is taking several cores throughout a field, or if you've got those areas of unexplained yield loss, walk throughout your field, find those areas. Once you've got a sample in a bucket, you can take that, break those chunks up, and it's as simple as pouring a few cores, maybe 10 cores or so in a bag, and then uh, sending those samples into us. And if you don't have, we can put those in there if you'd like, if you don't have a soil probe, you can just go ahead and use a spade or a shovel, anything. We just need that top six inches of soil. So send in a blended sample and we can count the nematodes. So again, I'll mention this is a free resource for all Nebraska yep. soybean farmers to be able to send those samples in. But what happens when that gets into the lab? What are you guys looking at from there? Yep, so once they get into the lab, we take those samples and it's really a process of, of separating the nematodes from the soil. So we use a series of sieves to separate those out. We'll get the cysts, we'll break those open because they're full of eggs, and then we'll take those eggs to a microscope and we'll count the, the amount that's under there. And then uh, from that amount, that amount of nematodes is directly proportional to the amount of yield loss that you'll be having in that field. So we can, we can send that result back to the grower or whoever sent in that soil sample, and you can kind of estimate what kind of yield loss you'll experience with those nematodes. If you'd like some additional insights from Dylan regarding soybeans as nematode and all they know at this point, he has several articles that you can find over at cropwatch.unl.edu. Well, something else that's likely on the minds of some of our viewers today is cattle reproduction. Dr. Chile Rosasco from the University of Wyoming was one of the featured speakers at the Goodmanson Sandhills Laboratory Open House this past summer. Market Journal's Mike Straub is standing by with that story. When developing young cows for breeding season, nutrition management is extremely important in impacting reproductive longevity in a positive way. We know that there's a really pretty uh, intricate and strong relationship between nutrition and reproduction. 
um, and how we manage those animals uh, from when they're born or even before they're born all the way through uh, their lifetime is going to have an influence um, on nutritional management. I think we really need to be thinking about how we adapt those animals to that future production environment that we're going to ask them to work in. Um, and we do have some different strategies that we can utilize. It doesn't have to be a, a one-size-fits-all kind of things. Um, so we can use those different uh, resources that we have available to us to uh, look at developing them out on range um, or changing up how we're um, or the timing of gain during that uh, development period for those heifers, um, but making sure we're meeting those requirements and thinking about how nutrition is impacting fertility throughout their life is really important. In heifers specifically, starting with a low rate of gain and increasing that rate as breeding season becomes closer has proven to increase ovarian function. It's really looking at, you know, in our heifers specifically, we know uh, we can put them on kind of a lower rate of gain after weaning and kind of coast them along um, and then step that gain up, leading up closer to the breeding season uh, that first year. And that's going to um, not only positively influence their reproductive performance that first year, but we're actually seeing um, an increase in ovarian function in those heifers, which we didn't talk about in the presentation. Um, but we're also seeing that translate into a potential increase in their longevity um, and their performance. Adapting these young animals into the future production environment they are expected to work in is also important. I think making sure those cows are prepared for that future environment they're going to be asked to work in is really important. I think that comes from thinking about um, that the grazing is a learned behavior, making sure that they are uh, spending some time on range, uh, that we're treating them like we're going to treat them as a cow. You know, if we're feeding them at a level they're never going to see again, putting them at a body condition score above what they're ever going to see again, how uh, we may be letting some sub-fertile heifers into the herd. Um, and, and so thinking about how we adapt those heifers and treat them maybe like we do the rest of our cow herd um, helps us select those heifers um, and put pressure on them for, to perform in that future production environment. The stair-step approach to development, that is, starting out with a lower rate of gain and increasing that gain as breeding season approaches, has proven to increase microscopic follicles in these young cows, as well as the number of animals calving through six calving seasons. Um, so that first half of the development period after we wean those calves, uh, maybe not putting them on a really high plane of nutrition and pushing them, we can kind of coast them along even if it's a it should be a positive plane of nutrition, but kind of coast them along at a lower rate of gain. Um, and then as we enter that second half of the development period, uh, when we're anywhere from 45 to 90 days out from the breeding season, be thinking about increasing the nutrition, um, increasing the rate of gain those heifers have to push them towards your desired uh, body weight. Um, and condition before the breeding season, um, we can see that as kind of a flushing effect. Um, so we're having a positive influence on the oocyte or the egg that we're eventually going to ovulate. Um, and then we also see an increase um, in ovarian function in those animals. Um, so some research I've been working on, uh, we actually see an increase in the number of microscopic follicles in those stair-step heifers compared to heifers on a constant rate of gain. Um, and then we can extrapolate that out um, and some really interesting research from the USDA Meat Animal Research Center, uh, we see an increase um, in the number of animals calving through six, cal through six calving seasons um, in those stair-step developed heifers compared to their constant gain counterparts. When it's time to prepare a heifer or a young cow for breeding, don't overlook nutritional management. Adapting these young animals to their future production environment is a great first step in managing rate of gain. And stair-stepping that rate of gain as breeding season approaches seems to have a positive impact 
in calving as well as reproductive longevity. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Mike Straub. Good stuff there, Mike. Appreciate that. If you'd like to see Shelby's full presentation from this year's Open House, you can find that along with all the other featured presentations from this year's event over on the Market Journal website. Well, up next, let's turn our attention over to the grain markets. And joining the show this week is DTN's Todd Holman. Here's our conversation from Wednesday. Todd, always great to have you here on the program. I want to open up uh, with a question, I guess, when it comes to harvest in your neck of the woods. You're living up in South Dakota. How are things progressing there? Yeah, well, not too different than what you're seeing in Nebraska, Bryce. Uh, corn harvest is roughly half done at the moment. Almost all the soybeans are out. The crop progress report said 90%. Uh, on Monday. So they're trying to get those soybeans out of course before uh, any rain or winter storm uh, blows in. So not too different from what you're seeing in Nebraska. And overall things are going very well. And uh, most comments I'm hearing are that uh, the corn uh, crop is coming out of the field better than expected. They're uh, quite surprised given the rough dry stretches they had. I think they've had a little more rain than what you saw in Nebraska this year. So uh, they're probably going to fare a little better that way. On soybeans, reports seem mixed, and it's a little tough to get a handle of what's going on there. Yeah. Well, let's jump into the markets now. It's uh, changed quite a bit since our last broadcast. As we begin on the corn side, things fell apart a little bit. We were at the $5 mark when it comes to December corn, but what happened, Todd? Yeah, well, just last week, uh, there were some building concerns among traders about the weather conditions in uh, Brazil and Argentina. And of course, it's very early in the season. They're just starting to get the first corn crop planted in Brazil, just started planting in Argentina. Conditions have been drier than expected in Argentina. And central Brazil was uh, a little slow in getting its normal uh, rainy season type rains. Just with this week, that forecast has really changed, Bryce. There's better uh, rain in the forecast now expected for Argentina the next two weeks. They're probably going to see some nice one-inch rains, will help, which will help get them going and get better conditions for those early crops. And in central Brazil, we're seeing uh, one to two-inch amounts uh, in the forecast and a little more rain pushing up toward the northeastern states where it's also been dry. So just this week, it, it's uh, really taken a bearish turn as far as the prices go, especially on corn. Kind of a two-part question here on the topic of corn for you, Todd. When it comes to South America, are all eyes looking down there when it comes to the, to the markets here domestically? And if that's the case, where do you see this corn market heading? Yes, well, it's a combination, but yes, I would say South America's got the big attention this week and probably will in the next couple months ahead. But of course, the reason South America is important to us, Bryce, is because they're the main competition for our export business. Now, our exports are up a little bit uh, from last year's pace, but that's not really anything to brag about. Last year's pace, we had a very slow start. Uh, the good news is the river problems don't seem to be causing a, a problem. Uh, at least at this point, we've had good movement of uh, soybeans down the river uh, and uh, probably won't be much of a problem when corn starts to move either at this point. Also, that rain we're supposed to get in the forecast this week ought to help the water le levels uh, on the Mississippi River. But it's a combination of uh, what kind of demand we're going to see this winter and how those South American crops do because uh, in both cases, uh, we're looking at uh, big crops of both corn and soybeans, especially from Brazil, but also Argentina adding on top of that uh, in 2024 if weather cooperates. 
Yeah, you bring up soybeans there, Todd, and that's where I wanted to ask you next. Is it, uh, we did, I should say, we did find some support, some support similar to how we did in corn for the soybeans leading into last week, but that changed as well, both following a pretty similar trend. Is it South America weather uh, driving the soybean market, or is there some other factors uh, playing in there too? Yeah, there is a mix of factors there, Bryce. And the big difference between corn and soybeans this year is we're going to have a big carryout of corn stocks the way things are looking. But soybean stocks remain extremely tight here in the U.S., expecting 220 million bushels of ending stocks in the new season. That's the lowest in eight years. So we have this uh, window of bullish price opportunity in soybeans between now and whenever Brazil's next soybean uh, crop arrives. And it, it, right now it's penciled in at a 6 billion bushel crop. So obviously that's a lot of soybeans, which tend to start to be harvested in uh, January. And we start seeing the price effects of that sometime in February. Sometimes it can go as late as uh, March, but that is definitely the competition and the concern keeping a lid on an otherwise very bullish situation outlook we could have for soybean prices. So here we are trading just above $13 on the January contract in soybeans. If we didn't have this big Brazil uh, crop looming over us, that could easily be a 14 or $15 uh, bush dollar price. All right, Todd, well, let me uh, give you the final word here on this week's broadcast. Your thoughts on these markets, any uh, particular advice you want to leave with producers today? Yeah, well, we, we've just come off of uh, two very good years of tighter supplies, higher prices, and now we're transitioning in the case of corn to more supplies. But more importantly, we're seeing more competition from the world for our, our grain crops on all fronts. So we're seeing big crops from South America on corn and beans. We're seeing a big crop from Russia, keeping our wheat prices down. It's a tough world looking ahead uh, when I look forward uh, to, to uh, the crop prices. So I would say, don't stay too long with this year's corn or soybean price. I think you're gonna have better luck this winter trying to get some appreciation out of storing soybeans than you are corn. And I know that'll probably make people bristle because they love to store corn, but uh, the corn outlook is not so good looking forward right now. We appreciate Todd joining us here on the program. I want to let you know that next week we'll be joined by Kyle Bumstead to discuss the livestock markets. If you have a question you'd like me to ask Kyle, go ahead and email us or get in touch on social media, and I'll be sure to pass your question along. Certainly lots of things happening over in the livestock markets. Well, up next, let's admit it, not many of us are thinking about eating healthy meals while out in the field harvesting. It's usually grab and go with food, and often meals are skipped altogether. But Nebraska Extension Food, Nutrition, and Health Educator Hannah Gunther says it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, she's offering quick and easy ways to eat healthy and still get the job done out in the field. You can learn about her harvest meal hacks in the October issue of The Nebraska Farmer. Well, it is now time to check, on, check in on weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist Eric Hunt. Eric, a nasty four-letter word has made its way into the forecast when it comes to this week. It's snow. Seems like things are going to be cooling down a bit as we enter the new week, right? Thanks, Bryce. We'll definitely want to bundle up for Halloween this year. It's going to be relatively chilly. Speaking of, let's get into the week ahead highlights. So we do have a storm system moving into the central plains and we will see some winter precipitation across the state uh, this morning heading into Sunday morning. Uh, the best chance of two to three inches of snow right now appears to be in the sand hills and maybe potentially in parts of northeastern Nebraska. Get down here closer to Lincoln, Omaha and in the southeastern portion of the state. It looks like we'll have a mix of rain and then maybe some snow later in the day. 
Uh, but we do want to watch out for a possibility of a heavier snow band setting up between Columbus and Lincoln uh, late Saturday afternoon into Saturday evening. That is not the expectation right now, but that is a possibility. Another concern is some uh, freezing drizzle and light freezing rain across portions of south central and southeastern Nebraska on Saturday evening. Now, we're not looking at significant amounts of ice accumulation, but any amount of ice accumulation this year is unwelcome. Uh, it will be cold on Sunday, a little bit better on Monday, and another reinforcing shot of cold air on Halloween. Uh, so this would be about the expected temperatures right now for trick-or-treat time, and most of the state will be in the upper 20s to maybe even the lower 20s across portions of north-central Nebraska, so you'll want to bundle up for Halloween this year. The good news is, though, we will start to see some moderating temperatures by Wednesday. High is probably in the 60s statewide, maybe as early as Friday. Certainly on Saturday, we might even see parts of western Nebraska even back into the 70s by next Saturday. So it will be cold for four or five days, but we will see uh, some bounce back to nicer conditions. Uh, we also will be relatively dry. Uh, expectation is for us to stay relatively warm through the first week of November. Uh, again, I kind of think the whole state will generally be on the warm side as we head into next weekend and the early portion of the next week. Uh, expect it to be relatively wet in the Pacific Northwest. I think we'll have to see if we get a deeper trough moving into the central U.S. if we actually do start getting some heavier precipitation uh, the following week. So we've been kind of on a one week on, one week off pattern when it comes to moisture. So we keep with the recent pattern if we actually did get some decent precipitation somewhere in the state in two weeks. Looking at November, uh, right now the CPC is forecasting equal chances of above and below average temperatures for most of the state, uh, with some of southwestern Nebraska being expected to be above normal. Uh, precipitation, no real signal here. Uh, again, I would suspect that we probably will see a bit more precipitation this year in November than we have seen in recent years. Uh, not that that would take a whole lot. Uh, kind of getting the update portion of it, uh, in terms of the drought monitor, the only real change this week is we did see a little bit of degradation to D0 in parts of Chase County. Otherwise, everything was remained relatively unchanged because we did not see much precipitation uh, as of Tuesday morning, which was the cutoff for the uh, drought monitor this week, as usual. Uh, we have seen some decent precipitation in parts of the state in the last uh, 24 to 48 hours uh, here as of Thursday afternoon. Uh, so the Loop City up through past Norfolk, we did have a widespread one to one and a half, three inches of rain. Uh, including some very heavy precipitation totals right around Norfolk. So they've had over three inches of rain uh, since early Thursday morning. And I believe they are just about two tenths of an inch shy of their wettest October on record, which would be just shy of seven inches of moisture. And that ironically enough would be more than half of their precipitation total for all of 2022. Thanks and back to you, Bryce. All right, thank you very much for that update, Eric. Finally today, according to the latest data, U.S. farm income rose to new heights in 2022 before we expected a dip here in 2023. However, there were certain factors that led to net farm income rebounding here in Nebraska. To learn more about this update, we sat down with a Nebraska Extension educator, Dr. Brad Lubin, earlier this week. Today on Crop Talk, we're visiting with Dr. Brad Lubin about farm income projections from the Center for mm -hmm. Ag Profitability. Kind of have you set this up for us of what are some of the metrics that uh, you all in the Center for yeah. Ag Profitability look for? You know, we're looking at farm income prospects in Nebraska, a state level number to give us a better picture of the economic outlook in the state and the, the significance, the, the contribution of the Nebraska ag sector. Uh, we look at crop production, livestock production. We look at price. We're obviously ultimately looking at value of production and contribution to the economy. We're also looking at and concerned about where uh, in input costs are going, and, and uh, uh, we see a trade-off between a lot of those things really driving the, the farm income outlook at the present time. Well, that is certainly, uh, I imagine, a number that ebbs and flows. If right. you can, just take us back a, a few years and tell us, uh, I guess, kind of how yeah. we've, we've ebbed and flows over the years. Yeah. You know, we, we uh, 
put together an estimate twice a year uh, in a collaboration with the University of Missouri's Rural and Farm Finance Policy Analysis Center, long title, shorter acronym called RAF for Rural and Farm Finance. Uh, but the, the fundamental goal of that is to produce a, an ongoing real-time farm income estimate. And if we back up to our projections in 2021 and ultimately final numbers that are estimated and published by USDA's Economic Research Service, Nebraska farm income peaked at a record level of just over $8 billion. Uh, that's, that's a farm income value that represents value of production, value added by the ag sector, including the relevant contributions for uh, assets and, and uh, uh, capital invested in labor, invest, et cetera. So it's a, it, it's a figurative number that, that describes economic contributions in Nebraska agriculture, $8 billion. Well, nationally, farm income went from, in 2021 to 2022, went up dramatically with higher prices and, and uh, um, good farm income prospects nationwide. Nebraska didn't enjoy that, that, uh, that joy. Uh, we, in fact, uh, fell from 21 to 22, largely as a result of the drought impact and substantial uh, declines in yield production, so the crop side particularly, uh, really struggled in 2022. The outlook for 2023 that we just released here in the last couple, uh, three weeks, uh, says we recover in 2023. We fall from eight billion to roughly six and a half billion, recovering toward seven and a half billion here for 2023. That's even as national income falls back dramatically from 2022 to 2023. It's almost like we took two mirrored paths from 21. We were here nationally, we went up before we came back down. Nebraska, we were here, 2022 we fell, 2023 we're coming back we're both getting back to roughly where we were in 2021. All of that said, the outlook is a function of, well, where, are we, where did we make gains? Crops rebounded some in terms of yield. Prices are substantially lower, so the, the big kick didn't happen there. The real big contribution to farm income in 2023 is much higher cattle prices, uh, driving a sector that represents 90 plus percent of livestock receipts in the state. So that's, that's where the gains were felt in 2023. Well, it's interesting that you, uh, you all are tracking this data and want to tell our viewers today that mm -hmm. they can view that. They report in its entirety at cap.unl.edu. You also right. did a webinar to talk about the numbers in detail, right? We, we did a webinar and, and that webinar gave us an opportunity to talk about the national outlook uh, coupled with and compared with the Nebraska outlook. And so there's good information there uh, by virtue of the report or the, or the webinar or other resources and insights that we are continually putting up at, at cap.unl.edu. You starting to look toward 2024 when we well, start to do that? Enough, <laughs> we're soon enough. In the next go round, twice a year, uh, in March of 24, we'll have our first projections for the coming year. We appreciate Brad swinging by the Market Journal studio to join us this week. You heard us mention that webinar. If you'd like to view the link to uh, check that out, we'll post that with this story over on the Market Journal website. Well, folks, that is going to do it for this week's broadcast. As a reminder, if you missed any of our stories, you can head on over to our YouTube page to view each of the stories as well as the entire show. You can always watch us online at watchacrestv.com. We hope to see you back here next time. Until then, I'm Bryce Duskit, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter 
Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.